This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. Yes, it is the Subway to Shape podcast. Anthony Rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from Queens, the New York Mets. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. Please also take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review the show. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. I want to make this show better for all you Met fans out there. And if you give me a five-star rating, it could only help this show grow more and more and reach even more Met fans baseball fans, and sports fans in the podcasting world. So do me a favor, rate and review Subway to Shea. Joining me now on the Subway to Shea podcast is my co-host for the day, Tyler Ward. He is a diehard Mets fan and content creator on YouTube with his channels Wardy NYM, which covers the New York Mets, and Wardy NHL for all the New York Rangers fans out there. Make sure you subscribe and watch his videos, which are very informing and bring another great fan perspective to the plate. Obviously, this is a Mets podcast, so we are going to concentrate on that team from Queens. Now, not too long ago, I was a guest on his Mets Talk Live show, and I thought it would be great to get Tyler on to cross-promote. Tyler, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you so much for having me on, my friend. I'm looking forward to this. Now, I really wanted to, this whole show to focus on, the, you know, recapping the first half, but some big news happened, and we're going to start off with that, and that is the Mets drafting Kumar Rocker in the 2021 MLB draft. They drafted him with the 10th pick. You know, I never really focused on the draft until this year because of how much I heard great things about Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter, which is Al Leiter's son, felt it was a pipe dream because both were heralded as top prospects. And for the longest time, Kamar Rocker was the consensus number one. Having him fall to 10 was such a steal. And even uh, Tommy Tannis, the VP of Amateur and International Scouting for the Mets and Director of Amateur Scouting, Mark Tremada, was even surprised that he fell. So Tyler, I got a two-part question for you. When did you start to feel that this pipe dream could become a reality? And what was your reaction to him being drafted by the Mets? Okay, so uh, to the first part, it was 11 days ago. I thought this, this pipe dream could be somewhat realistic. And a big shout out to my good friend Joe DeMeo, who covers prospects for SNY. He's having a field day as the draft is still currently upon us at the time of recording this. He covers everything regarding prospects. Like this is his Christmas, as he loves to call it. And I had him on my channel discussing the potential picks for the Mets for the 10th overall pick right around July 1st on my channel. And as we were breaking down players, he then brought up Kumar Rocker and I told him, don't get my hopes up. And lo and behold, here we are, you know, 11 or so days later, and this actually comes to fruition. And what a massive pick this was for the Mets here, because if you would have asked me going into the spring, if Kumar Rocker had any remote chance of actually landing with the New York Mets with the 10th overall pick, I would have said, as I most famously do plenty of times, that I have a bridge to sell you. And it just did not feel realistic at all. But between a uh, some velocity issues back in spring, according to Joe, and also uh, lacking a little bit on his changeup, which again is nothing to worry about. Plenty of pitchers before they even come in the bigs don't even know what a changeup is really. So he has an absolutely electric fastball sitting between 94 97 can touch 98 as well he has a slider that is absolutely beautiful and the changeup is also there so yeah to put it in short words i'm beyond excited for kumar rocker and was there a second question you said that i did not hit on if so please uh, reiterate it for uh, what was your reaction but, but you pretty much answered it there yeah i just i was at i was jumping for joy i was i'd say an hour removed from returning from new york because i was at the mets past three games against the Pirates. Unfortunately, they lost two of those three, but just got home and I told myself that 
if they do somehow, some way get Kumar, I'm going to talk about this right away, stream it on my channel. That's what we did late last night at the time of recording this around 10 p.m. talking for an hour. My excitement was through the roof. I've never been so excited and so ecstatic about a Mets draft pick in my uh, decent amount of time as a New York Mets fan now, only being, uh, you know, I'm not a seasoned vet like a, a lot of the other Mets fans out there are, even like yourself. So, uh, but yeah, absolutely electric. I couldn't be happier. Well, let's get into Rocker's career to this point was recognized as a top pick dating all the way back to when he was a junior in high school, but he really picked up steam in one of the best baseball breeding grounds in Vanderbilt University. At Vanderbilt, where he joined Jack Leiter, we mentioned before, former Met Al Leiter's son, and they formed this like lethal one-two punch the last couple of years. In the 2019 Super Regionals, he threw a no-hitter against Duke University, with 19 strikeouts, and that's as a freshman. Now, if we look at his stats here, 2021, he was 14-4 and four with a 2.73 ERA and 179 strikeouts in 122 innings pitched. His entire college career, 28-10, 289 ERA, 321 strikeouts in 236 innings pitched. What impresses you the most about what you've seen from Kumar Rocker? His poise and other dominant. When Kumar made his debut in 2019, there was no questions on what the potential is with this man. The ceiling is unbelievably ridiculous, and the floor was already set. He broke so many records, individual performance records, and everything beyond through his three-year career. And what stands out the most to me is truly his maturity at this level. Being only 21 years of age currently, he's a player that can very well come into the New York Mets organization and potentially be pitching with them in some form of capacity by towards the end of the 2022 season. That is just remarkable when you put in the words, because usually when an MLB player is drafted, you can look at easily two, three, even four years removed from hitting the MLB. But no, not the case with a guy like Rocker. He has been dominant against uh, many awesome, and I mean truly awesome, young talents um, working their way up through college against Vanderbilt. But he has just been electric. That six foot five frame, it's a little bit Bob Gibson esque with how his release point is. Some people even see a little bit of Doc Gooden in him, which I definitely think is pushing things. But from an actual lineup pers- um, perspective, I can see it slightly. No less, Kumar Rocker is really here to rock, and I cannot wait to see him in Queens. He has all the maturity, all the potential, and really just the professionalism to be in the bigs sooner rather than later, which is really what separates him from a lot of other guys that were drafted in this year's first round. And you mentioned Doc Gooden and Bob Gibson. Just having those two names thrown out there, especially with the way his windup is, both of those guys had seen a lot of dominance in their career and had some pretty big seasons themselves. And to have Kumar be named within that, I think it's a pretty good standard for where they want to place him. You agree? Absolutely. I mean, I definitely say it's more wind-up based than anything, but mm-hmm. no less when you have a guy of his size, I see the, I see the frame similarities too. And just knowing that you have a guy like Kumar Rocker, and yes, do I think he's going to necessarily be ace? No, I don't. I think that's really pushing your luck. I think that this guy's a lot of proving to do, of course, like any other prospect that first comes into the MLB. But you're looking at a guy that could very realistically be a two, a three, or even a four in your rotation within the next couple of years. And to have those comparisons with guys like uh, Gibson and Gooden, and yes, he's going to be making tweaks on his lineup to an extent, I'm sure, like any other pitcher, but the, the ceiling is unbelievably high for this young man. So to see him have this poise, maturity and just be ready to go and anytime you're compared to legends like that you know it's a good thing and you're never going to live up to that hype so it's a matter of how can you be your best self i don't want this guy to be a bob gibson i don't want him to even be a doc good and i want him to be umar rocker you mentioned his size scouting report for him he's six foot five he's a giant 240 pounds he's a big boy very big boy fastball can get up to around 97 right now slider that also looks like a curveball you've seen it drop in they've posted i know rob friedman's posted it you've seen a lot of highlights of it he's got quite the repertoire kumar dropped all the way to 10 people say it's because of his asking price was too high others say it was the decrease in velocity which you mentioned earlier i'm not too worried about the money because obviously you know steve cohen but you mentioned the velocity. You're not worried at all about it, right? No, no. I think there's actually just over the past couple hours of talking about this again with others and thinking about it, there's two main factors that stand out to me in Kumar Rocker falling. 
from originally being the consensus first overall pick heading into this year's spring. The first thing is obviously the signing bonus. We know that. He was just officially signed with the Mets at $6 million. That's a tall task. And that went also in hand, and the Mets will never say this, but also went in hand with them with their second round pick this year with a young man coming originally a Canadian who was playing in Florida for the first time in his career this year. Um, he very well was deemed as a third or fourth round pick, but the Mets picked him up in the second round. And it does very much go in hand with the asking price of Kumar Rocker and how much it takes to get a guy like him. And the second factor is going to actually be, and it's kind of funny how you look at things, it is his performance. If Kumar Rocker did not pitch a game this year, I, I would feel fairly certain that he would still be within the top six of this year's draft. Rocker, between some velocity fluctuations and also game, worked a little bit in some games, still had a sub three year rate this season, as we know, but found himself in a scenario where even his last start, which was over the past two weeks at the time recording this before being drafted, he gave up a couple of runs. I believe it was three or four runs. And not that I wish a. Uh, poor performance on his part by a stretch of imagination. But if you would if you would have told me that that is what would take Kumar Rocker to get to the tenth overall pick, have some games that were a little up and down and crucial points of the year, I'd say fine by me. Let him land in Queens. And that's exactly what happens. So I think between the money, that's a given and also the performance. This guy was worked a lot in Vanderbilt the past couple of years. No question about it. And obviously for a young man of his age that's going to have some ups and downs throughout your season. And I truly believe those two factors went into the big Biggest points of him landing with the New York Mets, and I simply cannot be happier about it either way. And like I said before, this was the first time that I really kind of concentrated on the MLB draft. Usually, it's not the big draft as other leagues have, but they they're starting to make it more of a bigger thing. And you can see the strategies by these teams. Like Pittsburgh, it definitely had to be a reason for not getting probably the best pitcher on the draft besides Jack is that signing bonus. Pittsburgh has never been a team that would want to, you know, pay out their players. Usually they'll trade them away before they even get an opportunity, which has happened with some of their guys this year. And then you go all the way to nine which was the Anaheim Angels, who suffer from not having good pitching depth, did not take Kumar Rocker, which was surprising to me. And when it came to the Mets, they didn't even let the clock run out. They were ready to pounce. As soon as I saw them, that their pick was in very early, I knew it was Kumar Rocker. And they need outfielders. So this was a, you take the best player in the draft at that time. Yeah, absolutely. There was no doubt it. This was a blessing from the gods for the Mets and uh, everyone that was working religiously um, throughout their system to get this draft set up. And boy, oh boy, they're jumping for joy more than anyone else. Again, Kumar Rocker has been the face of college baseball for years now. And fortunately, things really fell in the Mets' hands here. And when I was talking to Joe DeMeo for us and why, he said it's a, it's a very small possibility does not seem likely but if somehow some way he can sneak past a team like the kansas city royals which he had kumar going to in each of his four mock drafts for sny over the past couple months which is insane to think about and from the past anaheim don't get me wrong anaheim still got themselves a very good pitcher a guy that could actually be with the team very soon it wasn't a bad pick but lo and behold, the money factor was surely there, I would assume, because Kumar Rocker, yes, I know that you're going to have to do some tweaks with him, and yes, nothing is given. But when you're talking about a guy that just has that it factor, there's no one that stands out to more stands out to me starting pitching-wise other than Jack Lair than Mr. Kumar Rocker. So, yeah, everything went according to plan. And then some, it seems like the Mets, whoever they were originally eyeing, they just threw that paper right out the door as soon as they realized Kumar was still there at number 10. All right, let's go from a guy who has the potential to possibly be a future ace to the legit ace right now and best pitcher in baseball, and that is Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom was selected to his fourth All-Star game. This went in 2015, 18, 19, and now this year, 21. This year, 7-2, 1.08 ERA, 146 strikeouts in 92 innings pitched. But this week, there was a little bit of controversy, mostly, I think, made up by sports media and analysts about Jake deciding not to participate or even go to the All-Star game. Tyler, what is your take on this situation? I am I'm absolutely happy with Jake not going. I think it would have honestly been 
Uh, not not the stretch of foolish, but I, I don't think it would have been nearly enough in his benefit should he have attended. And the main reason is he's been injury plagued the first half of the season. We know that. And fortunately enough, it's been it's been nothing serious to the extent where we're losing this guy long term. Knock on wood that that never happens, of course. But he's dealt with nagging injuries. It feels like almost every single week for a couple months now. And if there's anyone that needs a rest on his current roster that is currently healthy, it is a guy like Jacob DeGrom. When you have a guy that is this dominant with just over a one-year rate, that very well could get a below one still at this point in the season, breaking records left and right, doing things that simply no one has done in MLB's history, especially with his consistent velocity sitting around 99, 101, 101, plenty. Uh, it's, it's remarkable what he has done, and he deserves a rest. By all means, I'm very much in favor for him skipping out this year's All-Star game. Yeah, I got to agree with you. I have this pinned to my Twitter right now, and I said, I want to see Jake Hoist the World Series trophy way more than greet the fans at the All-Star game and pitch one inning. And that's how I truly felt. We've seen him pitch in the All-Star game before. He's had his best outing, I think. I posted a clip last week, that almost immaculate inning he had in 2015 when he had struck out three guys on 10 pitches. And you mentioned his health. Being the way it has been this year, I want him to rest. I want to get him to get ready for the second half. This team has a legitimate chance. I know people are on the fence with the Mets. They either are fully aboard or they're not, I guess, figuring how good this team has been this year with all the issues they've had. But I really do think they have a legitimate chance, and I know you do, at getting into the playoffs for sure, but making a deep run. So I want him to enjoy this week, spend it with your family, take some time off. It has been a crazy first half of the season. I think he's earned that, and there's no other way I would have it done. Yeah, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with you, my friend. I, I think everything was perfect timing for Jake. And like I said, he, he desperately needs this. And I, I hope he heals up, enjoys time with his family, always deserved. And, you know, while it's unfortunate that he isn't able to be there for the fans, which is, of course, an important factor, in the end, true Mets fans know that this is the best route for him at this point in time in this season. Well, the Mets didn't go without having no one go to the All-Star game. Taiwan Walker will replace Jake. And at first, I definitely questioned this signing at the beginning of the season. And it's because of his health record the track record we talked about health before taiwan hasn't been the one to always be on the mound but he's been such a blessing this season so far i think it's the best signing of the year definitely for the pitchers and his stats so far is seven and three with a 2.50 era 89 strikeouts in 90 innings what do you think has made taiwan so good this year uh, I think, one, it's analytics. I think that actually has been a huge driving force. And two, is health. Uh, if you want a quick summary on Taiwan Walker, originally a coveted pitcher when he was drafted uh, a couple of years ago now with the Seattle Mariners, and he's missed a good portion of his career, young career, due to injuries, uh, better half of two years, really. And that was something that had definitely went into a factor of him having the Mets be the only team, believe it or not, offer this man a contract and free agency. And when free agency had begun, I did a video on my channel. It's the first ever person Mets related to talk about Taiwan Walker, the potential and the, with the Mets. And that was because of the Mets original GM at the time that we won't even need the name right now when the Mets originally hired him in the offseason because of his connection with Taiwan. He spoke glowingly of him when he was originally acquired by the Diamondbacks a couple of years ago. And Taiwan Walker at this point in his career finally stood out in 2020. He was healthy. He was looking very solid with the with the Mariners, and then he was dealt uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays. And what did he do with the Toronto Blue Jays in a handful of starts? He did not give up a single run. He had a phenomenal short 2020 campaign. Uh, but again, given his injuries and given the uh, in- inconsistency at this point in his career, a lot of teams were nervous. And the Nets took the jump on him, especially after not landing guys like Bauer and decides to put uh, Jake Odorizzi aside. And in hindsight, that was such a phenomenal move. So we got Walker in this multi-year deal. And what was what has the, been the biggest standout, in my opinion, with Walker, not just analytic by the fact that this is a young man who has yet to hit his peak in his career. He hasn't even remotely hit. He was starting to show strides this short in 2020 year. He's healthy now. First time he's ever been healthy, but he's not just throwing the heater for the sake of the throwing the heater. He's finally gained command on his pitches and he is throwing this beautiful thing called a sinker, which is something that I'm almost certain he has not been throwing previously in his career. Since he has gotten command on that sinker, he's had plenty of movement on his fastball, which has been his biggest put out pitch. It has been so much fun to watch him. He has been able to do it with that sinker. It's something that he has had little to no movement at all with his heater in previous years in his career. So give shout out to guys like Jeremy Howe 
Hefner, the pitching coach for the New York Mets currently, a great young mind, and you have Zach Scott, the analytics guru, that is their current GM, and everyone else involved. They're helping this pitching staff tremendously, and Taiwan Walker is definitely reaping the benefits, and I fully expect the Mets to truly see the best baseball of Taiwan's career ever during his stint for however long this will be, and hopefully a long-term deal with the New York Mets. Yeah, I'm surprised he didn't outright get a spot on the All-Star team. I thought he deserved it, not just only in replacing Jacob deGrom, but I really did think that he earned his spot in getting on the All-Star team. You mentioned his contract. It has worked out so well so far, and the fact that we you know, have him for another year on top of that helps out in a way with the way this rotation has kind of not been healthy. And with uh, Noah Syndergaard... We don't know where his contract's going to go. We don't know what's going to happen with Marcus Stroman. To at least know that you're going to have Jacob deGrom, Carlos Carrasco, and Taiwan Walker in the rotation, I think is a pretty good start moving into next year. Yeah, I think that's an understatement. It really is. Uh, The Mets are in great hands when it comes to uh, where they will be, not just now, but going forward pitching-wise. And fortunately for us Mets fans, even with there being frustration in recent years, I mean, more often than than not the Mets have had very very strong strength pitching and we see that on the forefront this year and I expect more to happen more to change and only for this team's benefit going forward once again I'm here with Tyler Ward content creator and YouTuber make sure to check out his channel Wardy NYM and hit that subscribe button he has great Mets content for all of your viewing pleasure so Tyler we talked about Jake and Taiwan season so far, but let's recap and give some grades for the first half of the season for this team as a whole. And as we get ready for the second half of this season, what is one word that you think can describe what we've seen so far from this team? Resilience. Not, nothing else. It's, it is 1000% resilience. The ability that this team has been able to overcome their adversity which has been on the forefront all season long between injury after injury after injury. And we know how bad injuries can get for our Mets, but it have, we're talking 17, 18 players that were currently on the active roster all on the IL at one point, and for them to stay afloat first in this division for multiple months, the longest time since the 2007 season, and we all know how that year ended, but this is still a larger scale than the 2015 year of being this consistent for so long at first. I, resilience is all I can think of when I think of this club right now. Yeah, exactly. They're resilient, and it has them with a 47-40 and 40 record. They're seven games above 500, three and a half games on top of the NL East as the Phillies finally got to 500. It feels like the Mets have been over 500 for so long, and the rest of the teams on the NL East have just been unable to at least get to 500. Phillies done it. Atlanta, I can't see them getting there because of the loss of Ronald Acuna Jr., that ACL tear, having him out for the season. I kind of think that the season might also be over for Atlanta themselves. Washington, since playing the Mets, have come back down to earth. They have not been playing well. Miami already lost 50 games, and they're nine games back. This is the Mets' division to lose, I think. There's no other way you can write it, you know? 28-14 28-14 and 14 record at home. They've got that home cooking going very strong this season. They need to improve on their away record. They're 19-26 and 26 right now. But this team, you got to think, it is their division to lose, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's no denying that. I mean, a shout-out to uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. I, I don't care who you're a fan of. There, there's mm-hmm. no... Uh... There's nothing else to say but how terrible I feel for that young man. I absolutely hate when the Mets go up against him, and I'm so nervous for the next decade because of just how amazing of a young player Acuna is. I wish him nothing but the best in a very fast and speedy recovery. Absolutely terrible to see that happen. But you're right. The Braves are in a scenario where they lose their, by far their best player right now. They have some other pieces with Ozzy Albies, Freddie Freeman, who we all – it's so hard to dislike Freddie Freeman. He's just such a pleasure to watch, and he's a big friend with Jacob deGrom, no less. But the Braves, they have their big issues in that lack of uh, pitching depth at times in their scoring rotation. Their bullpen has been abysmal more often than not this year. You got the Phillies, who only have a two-headed monster in their rotation with Zach Wheeler, who, yes, we all know the story there. I will always appreciate Zach, just an unfortunate situation that the Mets did not have the current ownership that they do now when Zach was a free agent. But him and Aaron Nola, Wheeler's been one of the best pitchers in the NL, but they they are too front-loaded offensively for me. Their bullpen has blown more saves than I could even count. They're doing their best at a Diaz impression in 2019. Miami Marlins, we know the story with the Marlins. They're a pesky team, but realistically, it'll be an 
a very tall task to see them go anywhere. And the Nationals are a club that's been unbelievably injury riddled uh, after their stance with the Mets of recent. Kyle Schwarber is dealing with a significant injury. I don't even believe there's a timetable right now after his ridiculous tear. I've never seen a tear like that. <laughs> uh, really, it's been a while. Home run after home run. It's just okay, enough already. And unfortunately for his sake, it ended thanks to his injuries. And I'm wishing him the best, no less. But yeah, this is the Mets division alone. It's been really all season. I predicted the Mets to win the division going into this year. I said it would be very close between them and the Braves. But while that may very well still hold true, the Mets are now at a point with everyone healing up that they can very much put a sizable lead on their hands like they have done at previous points this season and really try to run away with this one. And you know, something that bothers me that I hear a lot about the detractors against the Mets is that they're in one of the worst divisions in baseball. Granted, all the teams have had a terrible start. Let's not forget how many players the Mets have had to cycle through this season because of these injuries. They haven't been playing with the full starting lineup. This may have been the first week or second week where they've gotten close, starting with that Yankee series, where they have gotten close to being a full lineup. Besides that... This whole year, with either having Peraza in there, McKinney, Guillaume, Nito, Drury, you can Mason Williams, you can name them all. The list goes on and on. Mazika, Mabin, Fargus, Khalil Lee. It, it, the list just keeps going and going of how many players this team has had to cycle through. They've gone through a lot and have still been able, like you said, to be resilient and to be in first place. And that can't be denied by anyone. Whether you're a fan of the team, you don't like the team, you're an analyst, this team has done what they had to do to stay in first place for this long. And we hope it continues all the way through the second half into October. Let's go, I guess, not position by position, but let's start off with the offense. I want to know your grade and let's see if we can compare together. I gave so far this offense right now a C minus. And I say C minus because of the potential. This offense has more potential than you can ever imagine. And a lot of the players this year have had subpar seasons. But they do score when they have to, especially in close games. And they've gotten those a lot of those game-winning hits. What is your thought? What is your grade for what this offense has done so far? It's funny because I was thinking C minus before you even said it, but then I was like, oh, should, should we fall down to D? Because let's put it this way. I mean, look, it's hard. You cannot push the adversities aside because they directly go in hand with the Mets' lack of offensive success. But no less, the Mets have been a bottom tier of this year offensively. They have been the second to worst and at times the worst team with actually bringing in runs this season, which all, tells you all you need to know about the uh, how detrimental it's been losing guys like Brandon Nimmo for what's felt like forever. Uh, for really like two months without Brandon Nimmo. We know what he's doing to this club now when healthy. He's electric. Michael Conforto, and yes, I know he's been in a slump, but he will get out of it. I assure you it's just a small sample size. Jeff McNeil's finally in his group, but McNeil was out for a substantially long period of time as well. So, And J.D. Davis. J.D. Davis has yet to really play anything for the Mets this year outside of a handful of games. So they have missed crucial bats in this lineup for key portions of the year. And even while facing these adversities and still lugging out wins, it has been more so because they're pitching than anything else. So, yeah, I think C- minus or even a D if you want to go there would be fair judgment on how their offense has been at this point. But to what you said, the potential is 1,000% there. It would be foolish to suggest that the Mets will not bounce back and have a rather killer second half, uh, barring they stay healthy, of course, and guys continue hitting their strides. And we're seeing that now with Francisco Indoor is actually finally getting hot. As looking, is looking like the Francisco Indoor that the Mets uh, expected they were getting from the jump from an offensive standpoint. Defense, we know where we get with Lindor. He's one of the best shortstops in the game. But the offense is starting to continue. It, so many guys in this lineup are very much starting to show out now, and I hope and I feel fairly confident, really confident, I should say, they will continue to do just that uh, after the All-Star break and beyond. I think you have to put it in there that so far, the best offensive player has been Pete Alonso, and he hasn't even really gotten to the top of his potential this year. He's got 17 home runs, 49 RBIs, which I think any team would take. He's batting 250. He has been the offensive power that you want. I know he swings at some pitches that you kind of think, you know, why are you going after that? But he has been that power force for this team, as well as Jonathan VR has been hitting pretty well, you know, coming up from the bench, doing what he's done, playing third base. Dom Smith is kind of coming around. You know, you have 
Michael Conforto, who has struggled batting 202. It's been a very, very tough go around for him. I know a lot of people get on Francisco Lindor for his offense, and I, I feel like they mainly, you know, are on top of his offense. But he, if you look at his past stats, he's kind of in that range of where he would be right now with 11 home runs, 36 RBIs. Mostly, he's supposed to be a table setter. His problem has been his batting average. That's been the big thing, batting 227. But like you said, he's been coming around. But there's more intangibles to him. His defense, his leadership. Uh, every time he goes to the mound to calm down the pitcher, there's so much there, the energy that he brings to the team. I, I think we're going to have a big second half from him. I really do. And someone who struggled out of the gate James McCann he's kind of where he is right now 249 seven home runs 29 RBIs he's been pretty pretty good behind the plate as well especially with that arm this team's got a lot more left in them to play and I think they're only going to get better and better as we move on what are your thoughts on you know McCann and Lindor especially since they are the new kids in town okay so let's start with McCann quick because McCann uh, a lot of a lot of Mets fans did not like McCann to start this year um, mainly because he, he was just a double play machine just nothing was going right but I think a lot of Mets fans need to realize you're not getting James McCann to be this absolute stud 300 average hitter this is a guy that historically in his career and even during his peak with the White Sox is a guy who's been thriving on split time with Yasmani Grandal we're seeing him thrive now with split time with Tomas Nito, say like a 60-40 differential in games played. That's exactly where you need a guy like McCann. And at the beginning of the year, that wasn't the case at all. They really overworked McCann early, and you could tell that that went into a factor with his uh, funk. But McCann now, he's perfect. I expect McCann. I predicted him going into this year. He's a guy you can expect right around between 250 and 260 to finish the year. We'll be pushing that forward to 15, 20 bombs and 60 RBIs. Look at his numbers right now and tell me if that is going to come to fruition or not. I say he's very much on that pace. He's done really well after the first couple months of the year in Francisco Lindor, just like him. It's easy to forget just how good of a guy like Francisco Lindor is, given how bad of a start of the year he had. But when you look at his numbers, when you look at what he's doing, Francisco Lindor leads the New York Mets in multi-hit games this year. This guy, while he has definitely have having yet to really hit that um, hot streak like he has now done since the start of July, coincidentally enough, he hits in bunches, and he does it often. I can tell you personally, I was just at the game yesterday. It was at the three to four games against Pittsburgh at home, and uh, he had himself a two-run bomb. That was fantastic. He had three hits in the game. And what's so awesome about Lindor is that, yes, even when he's not hitting, he has all those other qualities. And that is why he became that $341 million man. Whether you think that's an overpayment or not, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Because, one, it's not our money. That's the beauty of it. And two, you're getting a guy like Lindor because of all these other factors that go into becoming a winning team, a winning mentality. He brought to this club one of the things I love, that really cherishing wins for the team, something that most teams don't usually do. It's a 1-6-2 season. You don't pay much attention if you get a win. You're, you're like, okay, awesome win, but on to the next one. What have they done since? They're, they're, they're having like a DJ. They're getting uh, smoke in the actual uh, – they're actually getting smoke in the locker room. They're partying. They're trying to enjoy your wins as much as they could because that's what Lindor did during his time with Cleveland, which was going in hand with their run in 2016. That just fell short Cubs. So he's bringing that winning culture. He has that mentality. He has that poster boy thing of what it means to be the leader of a franchise. He has no problem leading the locker room. Trevor May has openly said he is the, by far the most notable voice in the locker room. He leads the club through everything. He's the first guy in the field, the last guy in the field. He's helping out pitchers calm down between Stroman and Walker and others, even Familia. It is remarkable what Lindor does on a day-to-day basis that gets overlooked when all you're looking at is, say, his hitting woes to begin the first couple months of the year. Trust me, what Francisco Lindor brings is qualities that very few players in the league have, and luckily for Lindor, he is so unique in his own way that I don't think you can, can compare anyone else to what Francisco Lindor and what he brings to this club on every given day. I think fans focus too much on his contract right now. And especially, it it really hasn't begun yet at all. It begins next year. But give it time. I think that this second half is going to be a big one for him. It's kind of like a cleaning of the slate, if you think. It's, It's a new beginning, this second half. And to use that momentum to go forward is only going to help this team. His leadership helps this team. Another player that is kind of like divisive in the fan base is Brandon Nimmo. I've always been a Brandon Nimmo fan. Actually, he's my favorite position player just because of what he brings to the top of the lineup. I feel like we haven't had a leadoff hitter 
since the early days of Jose Reyes. And I feel like Brandon mm-hmm. Nimmo brings that. He walks. He gets on base. He makes the pitchers work. That's guys you want to have at the top of the lineup. And he's batting 317. He comes back during the Yankee series, and you see a whole different offense. Are you also on the Brandon Nimmo train? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, Nimmo going into this year, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't discuss him in potential trade packages and, and mainly went in hand with the Mets' willingness to want to address defense to the high C. At least that's what the reporters were saying all offseason. That's why they were interested in plenty of outfield names and Jackie Bradley Jr. as well. And in hindsight, I'm so glad that everything happened the way it did because Brandon Nimmo, there's one thing that we can always love about this man. Even if he doesn't have the most stellar glove, he makes up for it with his on-base machine. He is electric. I've never seen a player like Brandon Nimmo in my entire lifetime as a baseball fan, and I don't think I ever will. I got a young kid from Wyoming that just has absolutely exceeded expectations, has one of the best eyes in all the game, has been one of the biggest on-base machines in all of baseball since arriving the league a couple years ago now. And what he brings is that place setter that you can allude to a Lindor if he's in a, a leadoff spot. But he's a guy that can also drive the ball into the gap plenty. He has good speed on the bags. Not not anything crazy, but above average, I think you could probably say. He gets the job done ridiculously. I love watching him like yesterday. Perfect example. Owen to in the count, works a walk, sprints down to first. Those are the things that put a big smile on my face. It's small ball like that. And you need small ball at the end of the day in order to win championships. You need that balance between having the sluggers on your club, the guys that can hit the ball in the gap, and also just consistently getting on base and the beautiful thing about Brandon Nemo is that even when he is to say down hitting even if he stays in a scenario where he has a 230-240 average his on base is still going to be pushing 400 because of how much he just gets on it doesn't matter if he's struggling with the bat because he will surely make up for what is I and that's something that is unbelievably difficult to teach some guys are just born that way where they have that factor and that vision on the baseball that comes at you in the blink of an eye before then even and he's showing amazing qualities this club and a willingness to stay positive and give them a chance every single time, every single day. And it's guys like Brandon Nimmo that are going to have a crucial part into what is hopefully going to be a historic Mets season down the run in in playoffs. Now we go from the starting position players to the bench, a.k.a. the bench mob. They had a lot of fill-in this year, got some big hits. A lot of them became starters for a huge portion of the season. So for me, I gave them a B. Uh, better than the offense. I thought that they did well filling in, whether it was Jose Peraza with clutch hits. You had Kevin Pillar, Jonathan VR doing what they've done. Uh, Billy McKinney as well. He He's filled in nicely. Luis Guillorme, Tomas Nito. Like we mentioned before, the list goes on and on. I thought this bench has been stellar. One of the best benches I remember in recent memory. Absolutely. This is one of the best benches in baseball, and there's no denying it. I talk about a next man up mentality, and this goes heavily in hand with Steve Cohen, Zach Scott, and Francisco Lindor, and other factors in this team to bring such a great winning culture and a comforting culture where no matter who's coming into, into this team, they feel like they are home right away. And that is not an easy thing to do. A lot of clubs in the league do not show that willingness, do not have an open clubhouse where everyone's so talkative and open and like, hey, buddy, I don't know who you are. You just got club. That's cool. All right now, let's go get an RBI double to win it. And that's what happens. Like that is this club and the bench mob. And then that's how Tomas Nido stepped up massively, especially I remember that Brave series a month or two ago now. Uh, that stands out to me. You got Kevin Pollard. Superman getting drilled in the face in that same game, I believe, where Nito maybe got the walk off. My number's not mistaken. He steps up. Pilar has been a revelation. Jonathan VR. And these are two guys that are usually starting every day. And this is where you, again, have to give huge credit to the offseason moves by Zach Scott and Sandy Alderson. They brought in MLB guys who are usually everyday starters, but your team is so deep, they have them off the bench. And in some odd scenario where you have a plethora of injuries, like the Mets have unfortunately did this year, they're going to be every day. They can handle that and they're doing that tenfold. It is amazing on how well this bench has been. And Jose Peraza has been a lefty killer. Think about his most recent home run, which, of course, was against a guy of Harris. Uh, pardon me, not Harrison Bader. Uh, a hater, pardon me, who had a 0.55 year rate for the Brew Crew up until he gave up that bomb to Peraza a couple of days ago at the time of coin. It's just, it's, it's really hard to put into words how well this bench has been. And you need a deep bench in order to have a deep run and playoff success. That's what the Mets have now. And they will continue to thrive and reap the benefits of having all these either MLB veterans or younger guys stepping up because of how much they enjoy this winning culture. And you think about it, this team has been able to sustain some of these injuries to big key parts of the lineup because of this bench. Within years past, 
you know, Mets would have signed fringe minor leaguers and they would come up and get most of the playing time. Now they're signing actual major leaguers to play on the bench. And look at the big difference it has made to put this team in first place. Yeah, it is truly, like I said, jaw-dropping. I'm always kind of choked up when I talk about it. I don't mean it in an emotional way. I just mean it in the sense of, like, I... I'm just, it's really something else to see how far this club has come. Uh, when you, if you would have told me that given all these Mets injuries earlier in the season, that they would be staying afloat in the first, like more than a month, like we're talking two months straight, I would have said, I have bridges to sell you. I just don't see how they do it. But that is how resilient this club is and just how infectious these players are with another and having this winning mentality. And again, when you have players like Kevin Pillar, who has playoff experience that knows what it takes to win, especially in clutch situations, we have a guy like John. Jonathan Villar has been a seasoned vet who is very versatile in the infield and he can even play outfield if you really need to, not that you should, uh, but has speed on the base pass to always keep the pitchers on their toes if he's going to steal a bag and everyone else in between. That has been a huge core to this club and it's it's remarkable knowing that the bench has hit better, yes, better than the starters for this team at various points th- throughout the year and I think that's a huge testament to where they are as a club overall and where they're going to be down the stretch. You know, as, as we talk about the depth the most depth this offseason came to the starting pitching staff, which now has literally no depth at all with all the injuries that have taken place. But for me, even with all the injuries and with the regression from David Peterson, I still gave this starting staff an A-. And let me tell you why. Because what we've seen from Jacob deGrom has been otherworldly. Not even from this planet, I feel like. We've seen what we've seen from him this year. And you got to consider how well Taiwan Walker and Marcus Stroman have pitched. All three of them with ERAs under three. I would sign up for that every season. If you told me my top three pitchers are going to have ERAs under three every season, I will take that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, that my buddy Richie, who I do my Mets talk with usually throughout this statistic, and I believe it's true, is that this is the first time we're halfway through the season the New York Mets have three starting pitchers with a sub three year array since the Tom Seaver era. Like, just take a moment to really grasp that reality because that's the Mets. Yes, they really haven't had a fourth or a fifth star all year between the inconsistencies of a David Pearson, a Joey Lucchese. Now, the unfortunate injuries that have happened with Joey Fuego out the year. Hope he gets better, Mr. Churv, and David Pearson still dealing with an injury. Carlos Carrasco has yet to even pitch for the New York Mets since they acquired him in the Lador deal. And a setback for Mr. Noah Syndergaard, who looks like he won't be back with the team until September. When you have Tyler McGill as your best pitcher outside your top three so far this season you know you're locking depth but even then uh, this three-head monster led by the best pitcher in baseball Jacob DeGrom has been a driving force in this rotation and yeah I think a minus or even a solid a is a really good point because the Mets would be nowhere and I mean nowhere near the division lead this year if they did not have the kind of pitching that they have had all year long what a godsend it has been for this club and all I can say is I'm unbelievably fortunate to be a fan that has a great starting staff the way they do. And the beauty of it all is that they're still just getting started. Once we get Cookie back, they make trade trade deadline deals, which I feel fairly confident about. I really do. Uh, If Noah Syndergaard makes any kind of impact this year, you know, uh, sky's the limit for this rotation and where they will be going forward. And you got to give so much credit to Jeremy Hefner and staff and what they've done with these pitchers along with you know, James McCann on the backstop, Thomas Nito, who catches a really good game as well. This is why this starting rotation and even the relief pitchers have pitched this well this year. When healthy, this is what you can expect from these guys. And as we get into the relief pitchers, I gave them a B. And you have to give them a positive grade because if it wasn't for all these injuries, these guys would not be where they are right now. They have pitched so well, and I know Miguel Castro has struggled. I think it's fatigue for him, and Trevor May has had his frustrating games, but this bullpen has pitched so well with all of the injuries that have taken place to the starting rotation. They've had to play in so many double headers and so many openers, and even the game they lost on Sunday to the Pirates. What more can you ask for this team to overcome they tried so hard to win that game and obviously it slipped away the bullpen's got to be tired right 
Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, I think to say the, you know the bullpen hasn't been worked enough. You know that's silly. The bullpen's been overworked this year. We know that. And I'm gonna go a little step further. I'm gonna give the bullpen a B plus because they've been one of the best bullpens in all baseball. And by far, I think we all agree the best bullpen in this division, which has been the X factor. Look at the Phillies and their con- continue um, continuation of blowing saves. The Braves, same exact thing. The Marlins have had good pitching this year, but again, they lack a consistent offense unfortunately for their sake but this bullpen has been a huge driving force it has been just as important as this rotation and any any Met fan that's been watching every game will tell you exactly that when you have guys like Edwin Diaz sugar come back into the sugar that we were all hoping he would be showing more so what we saw a glimpse of in 2020 that this is a positive sign going forward and showing more that his 2019 year was an anomaly I think we can all agree on that by now I don't even blame him for you know uh, giving up a couple runs in the ninth yesterday because he was trying to work a five out save and he was in a base of the low jam high stress situation in the eighth and that he was able to get out so like how much more do you ask from the man and no one's going to be perfect every outing Trevor May has been up and down this year but has had some really good stretches Aaron Loop, the only southpaw in this Mets pen, and he has been something else. He's rocking right around a 1.7 something year right currently. Oh my goodness, to see what he has done versus a Justin Wilson now with the Yankees, who thanks to the Mets working him is right around an eight year round the year. It's insane. And then when you go want to go down the list further, even with injuries, up until he got hurt, Robert Gazelman was being serviceable for the Mets, believe it or not, especially in games where the Mets barely had starting pitching. Having to eat three or four innings, he was doing it. It's next made up mentality for the Mets, though, in this pen. Miguel Castro up until the last month is looking really, really good. Unfortunately, I think it's a scenario between fatigue and also a little bit of a sticky situation uh, <laughs> since the crackdown. Uh, but again, that's a discussion for another day. Uh, there's been Juris Familia, who's been up and down this year, but again, has had some strong stretches for the Mets that have been desperately needed in times where they do not get the starting pitching depth from their fourth or fifth starters. Andrew Smith as well, a young arm who I've very much been uh, getting a uh, liking to as of late and some others you know they they just continue to step up again this bullpen been overworked but they're getting the job done and they're one of the better ones in baseball right now the men's bullpen from 2017 up until now has been such a huge disappointment now i'm on baseball reference look at these eras 3.25 3.86 3.58 1.61 3.76 all these eras are in the threes I think that is pretty, pretty good for what you can expect from a good bullpen. Drew Smith, 2.92. Seth Lugo, he's always been a great piece out of the bullpen. 2.65. These guys are legit. They're legit. And I think the fatigue has settled in. You mentioned the stuff with Miguel Castro. But, you know, mostly I'm going to say that fatigue has really been the factor into some of the struggles for this team because a lot of these guys have been overworked way too much and it's because we don't have two starting pitchers that will go more than five innings at the end of the rotation so you're going to get the openers you're going to get short bullpen games but besides that i i've been so impressed with this bullpen this year absolutely yeah it and i do believe the mets are going to add to it as well just as a hint of what we could expect lean up to the july 30th uh, trade deadline but no less they're in really really strong hands now and going forward and it's great to see because we know how much of a heart attack the Mets bullpen has been in recent years and has been a heavy factor into the Mets' lack of success and having even uh, the chance of making playoffs. They have not had a good bullpen in some recent years, so it's a breath of fresh air to put it lightly where they currently stand. Yeah, I feel like every trade deadline, the, one of the goals should be to get a bullpen arm. No matter you know where you are as a team, you should always have some fresh arm come in there and help out the team. Now, Tyler, before we wrap up, let everyone know what you have coming down the line content-wise. Oh, well, first of all, I just want to say again, my friend, thank you so much for having me on. I always appreciate getting a chance to talk to you. I'm sure I'll have you back on the channel again soon for Mets talk or post game, whatever it may be. But uh, what can you find on Wardy NYM? Well, if you guys don't know me, uh, hello again. I appreciate all you guys chiming in and listening here. Um, we are currently reaching, we're getting closer and closer to 8,000 subscribers and just over a half year span on my Mets channel. Uh, what do we have going forward? We have a lot of trade discussions going on, um, whether it's about Chris Bryant or if anything continues there. A- Adam Frazier, who the Mets have shown interest in as well, uh, Josh Donaldson, others. Trust me, everything you need to know about everything with the Mets showing interest in players leading up to the trade deadline, rest assured, I will be the first to cover it you'll be finding it right on youtube when you search up the players name whether it's a live stream going on because we got to discuss a reaction or just 
everything leading up to the deadline, the deadline itself. There's a lot of great content coming there. All with individual videos I normally do on various topics regarding the New York Mets. Anything you could think of, odds are I'm discussing it. And same thing with in-game live streams I do periodically each week. At least I try to get a couple of them in, if possible, along with my schedule. So we, I normally share my own commentary and reaction throughout the entirety of the Mets game. It's a lot of fun. We normally get a lot of viewers in, and we're all sharing our individual thoughts on the Mets game or following along pitch by pitch, at bat by at bat. And it's an absolute pleasure. So yeah, that's all that really has coming up on the channel. Just a lot of great content in store, and I'm very much looking forward to it in the trade deadline. It should be uh, pretty exciting, uh, awfully similar to how the offseason was for the Mets. Exciting indeed. Tyler, I can't thank you enough for joining me. We're definitely going to do this again. Please let everyone know where they could reach you on social media. We talked about the channel, but where can they reach you on Twitter? Okay, yeah, on Twitter, same thing. Uh, Wardy NYN, that's capital W, and then to A-R-D-Y and then capital N-Y-N. That is where you can find me. I'm pretty active on Twitter. I love interacting with you guys, especially you're talking everything Mets and I even talk hockey on there as well because I have a hockey podcast that I do right around every week or every other week. But yeah, everything sports related is on that Twitter. So if you want to check me out there, please do. And I will be on other platforms eventually. But for right now, Twitter is definitely the safe bet to go check out. All right, Tyler. Thanks so much for joining us, man. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much, my friend. Talk to you soon. That was Tyler Ward. He is a Mets content creator on YouTube. Make sure to subscribe to his channel, Wardy NYM, and check out all his videos on the New York Mets. My final thoughts before this train leaves the station. Andy Martino of SNY is reporting that Brian Alderson and Ian Levin have been elevated to assistant general manager. Now, we all know Brian Alderson as the son of team president Sandy Alderson. He has been coming up with this organization and on the staff, and he has been now elevated to assistant general manager. Zach Scott, he'll remain as the acting general manager for now. We don't know if he will become the full-time general manager. We will probably wait for that probably after the season's over, but the front office has done a great job with the acquisitions, which is why they are sitting in first place right now. And Zach Scott, Brian Alderson, Ian Levin, and the rest of that staff under them have done a great, great job. Well, that will wrap up this show. Please take a few minutes. Write me a review. Let me know what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like. I want to know it all. I want to make this show better for all the Met fans out there. So please write me a review and rate the show. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. If you give me a five-star review, it helps this show grow. And it helps this show reach more Met fans, more baseball fans, and more sports fans out there. Let them know you like this show. So please leave me a review. And I would appreciate your support as you guys already been supporting me. You can follow the show on Twitter at Subway to Shea. Listen and subscribe to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications to never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. You can also find Subway to Shea on YouTube. This podcast is available on the HSP Network. Catch me alongside podcasts like The Bullpen with DA, Third Floor Lounge, which covers the NFL and NBA, Sus Talk, and their flagship show, The High Spot Podcast, which covers all things professional wrestling. Just search High Spot Podcast on YouTube or youtube.com slash highspotpodcast and make sure to subscribe today. Well, that will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera... You've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets.